Yeah, I, I don't think I'm going to do acid again for like another two or three years, honestly. That's how I felt on shrooms. I was like, my spiritual journey, I've learned I'm never going to do shrooms again. That's what I learned. <laughs> Contacted a higher power and it, it said, this, this is a sucks. So that's... <laughs> said don't call back <laughs> uh should we get started let's let's do it andres have you ever uh talked to the machine elves the machine elves yeah yeah i like stopped doing all hard drugs by the time i uh started college though so he can't because then he becomes an ant on a log in the middle of the ocean yeah he had kind of a bad a bad trip on my birthday that's because he does too much he can't moderate <laughs> I'm already no like the thing is I'm already so beyond like the doors of perception. I'm already like so dissociated from this plane and so already yeah. so much in the astral that it's like drugs and, and drugs are like twelve times as potent for me. You know what I mean? Yeah, Andres is on the astral plane just like being horny. Uh, <laughs> that's what it's for. It's like the internet. The astral plane. Right, you can find anything on the astral plane. Mm-hmm. And I mean anything. We're, we're back at Apild. We're doing the second part of our uh, uh, restaurants episode with our friend Dan. Uh, should we go around and introduce ourselves again? Uh, I'm Ben. I'm Courtney. I'm Annabelle. I am Augusto. Mm-hmm. I also insist that you all call me Augusto from here Augusto. henceforth. Okay, Augusto. And our esteemed <laughs> guest, Dan. Our hey. chef expert. Thanks for having me on again. Chef Chef Dan. That's yeah, right. well, we didn't have Annabelle last time. So, one, yeah. we knew we needed the full suite to get the full experience. And two, we literally, we didn't have enough time to cover everything that there is to say. We're at war with the chef community right now. In we DC. are. Yes. Nothing makes me happier than seeing this. Yeah, we have we have beef with Chef Jose Andres. Cause Good. He's trying to, <laughs> what? Uh, well, he so he's he's spending a bunch of money to defeat the like minimum wage increase uh, for for tipped workers. That's awesome. He did it four years ago too. He he actually fucking sucks. And all the chefs, all the like big chefs in DC are like assholes on this. They all spend a lot of money uh, to like defeat minimum wage increase. This guy Jose Andres, he doesn't even sound American, but he's trying to dictate what our minimum wage <laughs> okay. is. Exactly. Okay, Augusto. <laughs> yeah, it's like the, the people want the restaurant to remain a site of um, horrors and abuse and scary people yelling all the time. It seems like yeah. Also, yeah. Also, what this what this gets to, like what we kind of talked about last time, is that there's absolutely no like sort of class solidarity in in restaurants. There's no um, sense of like uh, oh, I want to help people along who are kind of on the same like journey as me. People say that, but it's lip service. But what you do find is like, well, I made ten dollars an hour when I was your age, and so and I liked it, <laughs> and I you know I struggled, and look look how look what I did. Um, I made that, I made ten dollars when I was your age, and you could buy a Pontiac or a Packard for two hundred dollars. Exactly, because <laughs> it's like an artisan's mentality, kind of like it's a craft, and you have to grind your way up to the top and really learn the art. Yeah, but when you look, yeah, but you know when you you look at like you know uh, you know look look at like an artisan, like a like a musician, like yeah, I, I get that. You know, you're you're selling you know, your ability to make music and, and that's not like as accessible, but like everyone can eat, everyone can go to a restaurant. 
they're they're trying to make this like menial task seem like it's this you know um, this craft or whatever. When really half the time it's it's just kind of how well can you do things, you know, a, a set of directions repetitively over and over again. Yeah, people have been feeding themselves since the dawn of time. It's like really the first and foremost skill uh (laughs) yeah i don't know i think we're i think we're setting musicians too high like people have been banging rocks together and singing oh yeah they they suck too we definitely shouldn't be praising musicians or artists and no artisan the the thing the thing is though it's like yeah people have been eating but they haven't been cooking you actually don't need to cook any food you eat you know what i mean it's actually bad for you yeah he's in the you're in the raw food movement right Mm mm-hmm I eat uh, I eat two pounds of raw chicken a day. Yeah, that's nice. beautiful. We should we should start a raw food pop up. <laughs> I feel like you probably get better margins on that because you don't have to cook anything. I don't know. There's less. Yeah. There's less. We flavors. can like verify the wet market theory and see if that's real. <laughs> I I did have a friend who 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 did no lie did a uh, pop up of that. Uh, raw diet or whatever like literally like and there are there are other restaurants that do this and like people will spend a ton of money to basically uh have these sort of different experiences of like what's essentially just juicing and like blending uh different raw foods together to make them i guess uh look more appetizing and seem more appetizing but it's just you know it's it's raw food we should resell soylent at like an insane (laughs) markup and then we'll We'll get good at like plating it or something, you know. You, you know, one of the one of the funniest articles I ever read was explaining the COVID wet market thing, and it was like so funny because it just like had this like diagram and it had like had like this ferret above like a pangolin above like a bat, and he's like, now when when the ferret shits, it falls through the cage onto the pangolin, and the pangolin ingests the shit. Then when the pangolin shits on the bat. The bat eats the pangolin shit, and then COVID comes out of the bat. Uh, Are people selling and eating pangolins? <laughs> yeah, in oh China. Pangol- that was one of the things. Anna, how did you miss? I didn't. I don't know. I just heard some pangolin stuff, and I was like, oh, I thought people were like, they're whimsical, cute creatures. Like I, I thought it was one of those like <laughs> how people think like possums are cute, you know, like epic pangolin every hour. <laughs> No, it was all about eating the penguins. I also kind of object. I just refused the wet market theory early on, and so I never entertained it. You know, Annabelle's all lab leak. I yeah. Well, I think uh, it was created by the CIA, just like AIDS was. Is the thing. That's right. I think it was the Kardashians. Yeah, <laughs> they made it in their um, the lab in their Beverly Hills homes. You know, Chinese people are so much cooler than Americans because Americans is like, oh my god. They, they, I'm eating chicken, but now I'm reminded that you had to kill a chicken to eat it, and now I'm sad. And then in China, they're just going to the wet market. They're like, yeah, kill this pangolin. Let me eat it right now. Dan, have you ever had to butcher an animal? Uh, yes. So the most like epic butchering that I ever did was there is a uh, – this is in Kentucky. There's There are paddlefish, and paddlefish are these giant – they look like they look like some some you know they got lost in the evolutionary uh, <laughs> chain at some point. They're these giant like fish with these long like snouts or beaks or whatever. Um, they're they're really like horrific looking. 
they're really big and they're extremely strong and you can breed them for caviar though. Paddlefish caviar is, is it's delicious, but it's, it's like a really kind of like uh, sort of twist on like this Appalachian twist on uh, caviar or whatever. Wow. <laughs> and I, I butchered, I butchered this uh, male paddlefish with this caviar farmer and there, there, there's nothing you can do with the males. Like, you know, they don't make eggs. So they just basically, I believe they kept them around so that the, the females would spawn maybe. But uh, we butchered this male paddlefish and we, we butchered a female too. And it was like, we pulled the uh, caviar sack out of the female and ate the eggs right out of the fish. And that was uh, <laughs> oh really God. bizarre, but really, really cool experience too. <laughs> that's wild that's like that's like what the dnc does with human children at their that's uh, true yeah. <laughs> that's what chef jose andres does uh on his week on the weekends he's there, he's there with the child <laughs> yeah chef jose andres is for sure butchering <laughs> children for their important things to keep the child alive as long as possible he's preparing the forbidden meat right now <laughs> I feel like that's such a big thing now. I don't know, because I'm not really that experienced in fine dining personally, but the way it's like depicted, it's such a sight in like TV and movies nowadays and all the little funny Netflix documentaries of this big like serious experiential thing, like yeah. have a sensation you've never had before. Um, yeah, I, I, I really do like the idea of that, like eating the forbidden meal or... Um having a once in a lifetime experience i've been to two uh really big three-star Michel michelin three-star uh restaurants in the uh in the country and one was um i ate at alinea which if you're familiar with that uh molecular gastronomy sort of institution in chicago you know it's 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 like revered as one of the best restaurants in 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 the world and then i ate at uh, 11 madison park in manhattan as well and uh at alinea they they would they served us burn morels which are morels that only grow in for in forests where there was a forest fire the year before and that was kind of like ooh, <laughs> that i felt i felt kind of like yeah like kind of bad eating that or <laughs> sinful or whatever is that why they're letting california burn so that the morel market can explode yes yeah, it's so Thomas Keller can have his morels. Like imprisoned, like enslaved firefighters picking those. Yeah, probably. What, I mean, like, what, how do you ex describe the experience for those of us who have never done it and oh, probably won't? I would, I would love to. Um, if you so want. So is a morel like a seed, though? I don't know what a morel is. It's a mushroom. It's a mushroom. Oh, okay. So the experience of eating at Alinea, uh, my my uh my wife really enjoyed it the food was was very good but they treated us like such fucking shit there um i swear to god they were looking down on us the entire time because when you go to dine at places like this they research you they look at you what? on their social media and they probably yeah no yeah they look into all this shit because that's that's really the only way you can keep a your three-star michelin rating is you have to research every single person that comes in and, uh, you know, they probably saw that, like, at the time I was, like, a banquet chef at, like, a hotel in Cincinnati. And, you know, my wife, uh, 
at the time she was like doing some bartending and consulting and they were probably like who the fuck are these you know yokels coming into our our palace of fine dining to enjoy it and um i felt like they looked down on me the whole time i didn't do the uh the full wine pairings so like for the full wine pairings for one person for two people i believe it was over a thousand dollars oh my god and uh we we had a we didn't i mean that was way over our budget and as soon as i tried to order wine by a glass the sommelier just kind of coughed like <clears throat> like that and i was mortified absolutely mortified like what a fucking douchebag that was that was um alinea for me at least and and when i left i still was hungry um <laughs> so i think we that got always happens at those things at those yeah, restaurants i think we have to get to, a hot dog <laughs> yeah we went to like a bar down the street and got like a hot dog or something like that afterwards <laughs> So this is this is an interesting thing. How much did, did that waiter or the sommelier make? You know, so is he at rich too, or is he just being judgmental for the fun? You know? A little bit of both, probably. <laughs> he's the king's jester, you yes. know. Like he's got his income, but like he has to dance for the royals, and he doesn't want to dance for a non-royal. Yeah, and the interesting thing with that too, though, is that like. There is this sort of thing as like a cook or a chef when you are like doing catering or fine dining where you do kind of want to mock these fucking bourgeois assholes who come in to eat. And so like I kind of understand where, you know, this staff may have been coming from because like I'll admit like we make fun of people all the fucking time. <laughs> um, like I <laughs> uh, a friend of mine was doing a wedding uh, last weekend and this is terrible. Like it's so catty, but like. Uh, she sent me pictures of like the the uh, decorations that the, the the couple did themselves or whatever, and was like, "Look at this!" And I was like, "Oh my god!" Um, but <laughs> which is like totally catty. But then I was like, "Wait, I feel really bad about that. Somebody put their time and effort." And then she was like, "No, they're fucking assholes." I'm like, okay, I feel better now. Yeah, as long as they don't find out, like you're allowed to, you can make fun of anyone. But yeah, it is. It's insane that they just make fun of you to your face. Uh, yeah. And, like, if they thought they were being subtle, like, there was no subtlety lost on me. Like, yeah. That's the difference between, yeah, I guess, like, this high-tier kind of experiential event and, like, more average service economy. Because in the average service economy, you're constantly making fun of your customers. You just can't do it to their face. Otherwise, your manager yells at you. Yeah. But... I guess when you're that high up, you can do it to certain customers to make the other customers feel better that you are not mocking them. Yeah, no, I think you're right. Yeah, you have to maintain uh, the exclusivity because so that's what they're selling. They're selling this kind of like, yeah, like very exclusive experience. Yeah. yeah. Um, at one time I heard that, and, and I don't know if this is true of Alinea, but there are these like fine dining restaurants where they make they make no money whatsoever. Um, they're just basically like a place where the investors know that they can be have basically have their asses kissed, you know, mm. bring in uh, wow their friends, you know, at this amazing experience. So it's really kind of like that's really kind of all those restaurants are there for to some extent is to serve those people and then to sort of create the spectacle and make the spectacle even bigger. That's it's like uh, the South Park episode where, where Cartman gets rich and what he does is he buys the, the uh, amusement park and yes. then makes it, he's the only person he's, he just uses it all day and makes everyone else watch, but he's the only person allowed to actually <gasps> go on any of their rides. 
podcast. <laughs> well, I don't know if you guys, I maybe even talked about this last time, but um, the Starbucks reserves, uh, if anyone remembers those, there used to mm. be like, I think it, they started opening them in like 2012 and they were like a fancier version. Oh, of shoot. Starbucks. Yeah. Yeah. We, we had yeah, one here. And, yeah. They were like, I remember. you would have one per city, you know? And it was like, oh, this fancy ass fancy quote-unquote starbucks and they very quietly all closed down during covid um and i worked at one i worked at one in la and it was i think the worst job i've ever had um because they did not make money there was not a single starbucks reserve that ever made money they existed to elevate the starbucks brand so it's like mm. starbucks is just the mcdonald's of coffee like that's yeah all it is but it always wanted to pretend to be more so the reserve was this way where it's like okay we're still doing quick service coffee but like you can get like a nicer bean or you can get um, a fancy siphon here but yep. it, it really just was for the reputation so that it was miserable to work there because you just have most of your customers are just regular people who want a regular ass starbucks but then you're trying to upsell them into like, oh, you want an uh, an affogato? And they're like, it's 9 a.m. I just need to get 10 cappuccinos for my office. Uh, and so, yeah, it was, it was extremely miserable, tight margins. And I will say the food and service was worse because yes. there, it was so cheap that like we would use expired shit or like stuff would fall on the floor and my manager would be like, you need wow. some. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Don't let the health inspectors in. So I think we're getting into kind of like food and restaurants as an experiential thing. Uh, and I think that kind of leads us to the topic from, from last time that we didn't get to, which was, uh, so you you were inspired in cooking uh, by Anthony Bourdain. And we wanted to talk about that, like that kind of phenomenon uh, and how he kind of popularized and changed, I guess, the culture uh, around food uh, and maybe ch changed how people view chefs and, and cooking. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's... No, I'm really glad we can we can kind of talk a little bit more in depth about this because um, it's really just incredible. I, I like to think of like what my life would be like if I had never read that fucking book. Um, <laughs> I, I don't regret any of the things that I've done in my life, you know, uh, or my career path. It's all kind of gotten to me where I am now. But I, I wonder what would be different. Kitchen Confidential is uh, a wonderful tale of uh, Anthony Bourdain's experience as a chef in New York City in like the 80s and 90s, early 2000s. And it is kind of like, it was basically seen as like a Bible um, for like misfits and weirdos with like really incredible social disorders, <laughs> substance abuse problems, who like need... Um, needed like a place to fit in or feel like a sense of community and um and they didn't have the dsa back then. <laughs> no <laughs> nope dsa wasn't around back then so instead uh it was kind of like they bourdain romanticized the kitchen as this like island of misfits where there was uh this sense of community and camaraderie and um there are so many fucking tropes in that book that i don't even know are if, if they are like actual tropes or if like he made it up, but you'll hear like people will literally take stories from his book 
in the kitchen talking and pass them off as if it actually happened to them, which is just completely absurd. But um, it's especially it, funny because everyone in the kitchen has read it. So <laughs> everyone has read it. Yeah. Um, it's and like so, the guy who's like, oh, I just came up with this really funny joke. Please do not check out at by your logic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like Kitchen Confidential is extremely dated. I, I know some people will argue with me probably about this, but it's it's not very representative of what like kitchen culture, culinary culture is like now. But like it's the same way with like, you know, the, as like the Food Network, people see, you know, Mario Batali on the Food Network or Emeril Lagazzi or even like the show chef. They see these these figures and they want to emulate them. And they think that, you know, if they get tattoos, um, have, you know, develop a drinking problem, they're just going to be able to like, be a badass in a kitchen and like kitchen the kitchen isn't like that it's it's extremely physically demanding you have to be in like peak physical shape um otherwise you're not gonna last and like i i was like a serious drinker like i mean everyone i knew too like we we all drank every night and you know we would just sweat our asses off in the kitchen feeling like we were like dying trying to do the work and we were in like our mid to late 20s doing this and so um it kind of also romanticizes like the absolute worst behavior in the kitchen the idea that like you know we're just we're just partying we're doing this um as like this act of defiance against culture you know uh by by cooking for for these people and then you know being paid like minimum wage to do it and we're all we're all stuck together and we're all poor together and we all like live in these shitty little apartments together and it's just kind of kind of perpetuates a lot of shit that like i want absolutely nothing to do with or you know think really goes against like solidarity and like class solidarity for chefs and cooks yeah i mean isn't that like that's isn't that like baby stuff? It's like real chefs do cocaine. They don't. They're not drinking. You know? Yeah. Only true. like college line chefs are sneaking beers back there. You know. Did Did we <laughs> talk about drugs at all last time? A little bit, but not. Uh, I think we can go way more into depth on that this time. Yeah, everyone is on speed now, or or just or on Vivans or Adderall, just like kind of everywhere, and it's not so much. Uh, there is the partying, um, and then there are people who are like perpetually stoned. But it's not cocaine. I, and, and I don't know. I don't know what it's like in in like New York or L.A. But uh, cocaine cocaine is fun, and people are still doing it. But it's kind of not quite the thing that it used to be. It's kind of more like people are more into like this like sort of aggressive wellness style of life. And but they're they're still taking drugs. They're just on fucking amphetamines or whatever. Yeah, so. that's which is you know also everyone who has an email job is on amphetamines as well <laughs> uh they deserve it uh, yeah we do deserve it i i feel like um i feel like the idea of like like working in the food service industry and whatever as being like a like a very rock and roll thing i i feel like do you think that that it was that book and like that really brought that like mythos about because i feel like people didn't really you didn't see a lot of at least media portraying like cooking yeah like this kind of like punk badass lifestyle you know (laughs) Bourdain was like an incredibly handsome man you know like he's good looking um he had that sort of like rock star ethos and persona and um you know people would see that and hear him talk and he he's so he was so incredibly passionate that like it was kind of it's kind of like when your best friend talks about his favorite record you know (laughs) I, I think that like 
I'm not sure how just how big of an impact he had on that, but I guarantee, I mean, it was it was massive, you know, like his his influence on that. I, I mean, I, it, I, yeah. No, I just feel I feel like with rock stars, like most of the time, they're like cheating on their girlfriends with seventeen year olds. Okay. His his girlfriend cheats on him with a seventeen year old. It's like <laughs> yeah, he's not on that level, you know. Yeah, we yeah we should probably get into that. So I use like the famous chefs, like the rock and roll lifestyle chefs probably are also have well that was the mario batali thing yeah yeah no he's he's yeah he's bad that that was that was that was rough um for me because i was a big mario batali fan for whatever stupid reason you know Um, ponytails are cool yeah that was like right around early me too right yeah he was one of the early ones yeah he was one of the early ones yeah, he was like it was like a lot. I think <laughs> I yeah. don't remember the exact details, but I remember wanting it. I was like, "Damn it! I wish it was Bobby Flay because I hate Bobby Flay <laughs> for no good reason, and I wanted to have a good reason." There's plenty of reasons. <laughs> I think he just he makes bad food. <laughs> he like puts corn in everything. Hated- Southwest food is bad. <laughs> Did you hate him because he's married to uh, the actress? from svu the district attorney oh no yeah one See, of I didn't... one of the svu district attorneys that's who he's married to and i had a huge crush on her so I was <laughs> jealous of bobby play no, he, he just looks like he looks like he should be like a boston firefighter he doesn't look like he should be a celebrity chef and i don't know his his face is just so annoying to me and the fact that he is treated like a rock star it for some reason that is the one for me that i'm like i don't get it this is just some dude who yeah makes like fine food and has a line of cookware at Kohl's, and i don't understand why he is a fucking celebrity and it just drives you do not have to be good looking to be a celebrity chef though that's like the one realm of celebrity rock yeah, star sure. mentality though right like obviously like not every rock star is good looking but like you get styled to have a certain style and he doesn't have a style he just looks like a dad and it, i don't get it yeah I don't know. it's kind of weird it's kind of weird that he was like the korean guy on mad tv and now he's a celebrity chef okay yeah. wrong wrong bobby i said it's <laughs> That was a stretch. Uh, yeah, I think, like, I mean, like, there's, like, such a different range of, like, personalities and personas within the concept of celebrity chef or something like that. Yeah, like, there's the Bourdain end of stuff. They're kind of, like, urban hipsters, you know, who, like, have, like, this, like, artisan feel, you know? They have a, cra- a craft. And then, like, Food Network comes in and, like, packages it for, like, um, the suburban folks and so like there's a kind of wide range of like celeb chefs you know um and i think like it's still kind of like the same nowadays you still have like the i guess kind of like more like niche like millennial bougie style like bon appetit direction of stuff of people who like want to take their cooking more seriously and then like you have the other direction of just like i don't know epic mealtime people who just want to make like a pile of chili nachos or something like yeah uh god i can't think of his name the chef they they put him in uh the bear too it's like maddie oh that guy yeah that i worked with a guy who like thought he was that guy (laughs) and it was 
so fucking annoying. He would use the exact same like catchphrases as as that guy, Maddie, whatever no. his name is. Yeah, and like would you know just like talk about how everything was epic. And I mean that that like if you're if you're like this guy was an intern who was assigned to me from like culinary school, and he was like a non traditional student, sort of like he was older, he was my age, um, and he was from Michigan too. So I was like, all right, man, I'm gonna I'm gonna help you out. He was like he went to um, a culinary school that was a trade school that like my mom actually taught at that trade school at one point and so i was like all right all right man i'm gonna you know i'm gonna take you under my wing and like he would come in and just like you know bust out these maddie youtube lines or whatever and i i just like i'm like dude you you can't talk like this in front of people like everyone in front of you you read it in the kitchen you know yeah and like like you're working with like you know first of all like people who maybe english isn't even their first language they don't understand the references and you're you're not quite there yet to where you can make these epic boasts. Your, your, your cooking skills like have a lot, you know, they need to be developed. And so just explaining to this guy, like, yeah, you can't do epic meals in like a fine dining hotel. You can do something like that. We could talk about putting something like that on like a bar menu or for like a late night station, but like you can't be in my, my cold food garmage kitchen and like, talk, like make epic baking shit. <laughs> so it's pretty funny. It's so funny. Yeah. Like these like, celebrity chefs and like the cottage industry of that really has created this type of zeitgeisty archetype dude who's the tattooed kitchen guy you know he's such a guy now wait dan what's the funniest food you've ever seen bacon added to um oh god that's really tough because like i think i've seen it on everything by now um i have done a i have made a turducken before where we wrapped it with bacon at the end um that is very epic with, with the turducken i believe i think it's like so you take a chicken and you stuff it with a duck and then like for if you really want to get even more uh wild you can put like a quail inside of the duck and it's kind of like you you it's really it's a really cool process because you you do have to use like some really um really intense sort of techniques to cook everything separately in like water baths and stuff like that to do it but like that's probably the most epic like funny thing that we we made that for like staff lunch like we would never serve that to anyone and uh everyone enjoyed it but it was it was kind of like you know haha we were having a good laugh you know at the uh, epic folks like the idea that that by becoming a cook you can you could become a celebrity and like kind of a rock star and party and do all sorts of drugs and get girls and whatever like that that feels recent to me like do you do you think that's like recent and like how has that changed the industry uh, and like what are the consequences yeah of that? i mean so so i'm trying to like look at it through like my sort of lens as like a chef and then sort of but also through like a lens of like like i don't know like a marxist <laughs> lens of where like i'm analyzing the, you know from like a class perspective or whatever yeah. Um, so I think the best way to look at it is like, so it has made, what I would say if I was a chef is I would say it's made everyone weak. Um, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like they don't, they just don't put in the hours like they used to. And it used to be, you could work somebody for 70 hours a week and then call them in on their one day off to come in at six in the morning. Um, what it, what it has done though, is it, it's really just to me, it's, it's further blurred or erased the lines of like 
camaraderie or solidarity that we're kind of in the kitchen as a brigade working together, you know, working, working as a team. And it's kind of like turned it into this thing of I'm in it for me. I'm going to be taking pictures of this for my own Instagram. I'm going to be posting this. I'm going to be sharing it with my followers. And so like that kind of attitude is like extremely detrimental to the success of like a kitchen because a kitchen needs to be a cohesive unit like a brigade um so it's well i'm curious also if this is a phenomenon that skews more male because it definitely sounds like much more of a male fantasy when i think about like celebrity women chefs you get the uh in a garden rachel what's her name type the, the pioneer woman <laughs> I was going to say the pioneer woman where you're either you're a homemaker or even you are kind of like a mommy blogger homemaker girl boss but it's very much around like family meal um hacks as opposed to you're opening your own kitchen although certainly like women there are women chefs who do open their own kitchen so i i'm just kind of curious about the gender dynamics yeah so so yeah the gender dynamics are there are not a lot of women in kitchens still the last kitchen i was working in there was uh the head the executive chef was a woman um i was a chef de cuisine so like that's the person directly under the uh her and then our staff when i first started working there was primarily women um but it's it's not like it's extremely difficult for women to work in the culinary industry and be taken seriously still to this day. Sexism is, is rampant, but also when it comes to women, um, you know, there's also like, what do you call it? Is it, it's not reverse misogyny. It's like, what is it? When women, like, yeah, misan- yeah. Well, no, like when women hate other women, basically. Oh, yeah. Oh. Internal, internalized. I think that's, that's just misogyny. That's it. Yeah. I'm, I'm, a, I'm just a stupid cook. So all this stuff is like, I know what it means but no that that's like a real thing where you know the women who have made it don't necessarily look out for the ones that are coming up because it's it's once again that mentality of well I came up in this boys club where they would you know snap my bra strap and and if you can't take working a 70 hour day like I did then then you're just not cut out for this industry honey or sweetie <laughs> um like I mean I've, I've heard like women say that to other women before it's really wild but no um solidarity yeah the best my mentor is uh the 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 woman who I consider like my mentor, um, you know, obviously like she's a chef, she's a woman and like, she's, I don't know, she doesn't have that like mentality at all. So like, I have a lot of respect for her simply because she doesn't have that like girl boss uh, plus, you know, you can, you can handle this honey. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause it's basically a setting that doesn't necessarily value like a quote unquote, like traditional feminine trait. And so either, adapt and then uh kind of uh deride from the traits or you don't last i guess i mean there's a lot of industries like that yeah that's a really really interesting way of looking at it too because when you look at like cooking in the home it is like a feminized trait so you know you get into the professional side and it's all these like peacock men you know because uh women's labor is pushed out of the economy and whenever men do it's like part of the economy that's the thing so like one is kind of like erased and the other is brought into the capitalist order mode of production you know well i i think kind of coming back to bourdain a little bit i'm sure also you know the relationships between people in the kitchen and their significant others outside of it also has to be incredibly strained when you're working a 70 hour week that's 
you know, so high pressure. And when you think about that kind of stuff, typically, you know, for people working that many hours, it's frequently, although definitely not always, you know, more well-paying. Like you think about like someone training to be a doctor or even, you know, um, a unionized truck driver or these these, um, train conductors like we're talking about now, where the issue is not pay, it's about time off. But obviously with, um, you're working in a kitchen, the pay is not the same and you are going home and exhausted, but you're not necessarily bringing home that much. So I'm sure it's just like a lot of stress on any relationships you have outside of the kitchen and it makes those that you have at work more important yeah uh you know it it definitely adds to why like this is an extremely alienating career it's very difficult to have any sort of like social relationship when you're working in the industry that isn't with other people who are in the industry and i've known so many people whose marriages have failed or like they've had to quit jobs to save their marriage stuff like that and I mean, it's just, it, it kind of like further shows like just how depressing and alienating like this career is. And, uh, you know, thinking about like Bourdain, like just the fact that he like killed himself, if we want to get into that at all, is just kind of like such a, such. Allegedly. Yeah, allegedly. I mean, you know, we, we all know what actually happened. <laughs> uh, it, was, it was the. Uh, the Clinton strike the, again. Clinton. <laughs> crime family got anthony bourdain but um this is gonna sound really insensitive but i can't think of like a more fitting sort of way for the poster boy of celebrity chefs to go out and i know that sounds insensitive but like it's to me it's it's i can't help but like kind of remark on that because so many um chefs uh live short lives or kill themselves or overdose I mean, I've, I've had so many coworkers who have died young, not necessarily, you know, like, like, I mean, folks who have folks who are younger than me who have died from overdoses or like folks that I worked with every day. And then one day, the one you you knew something was wrong because they didn't show up for their fucking job. And then you find out like they're dead, you know, like they were found in whatever state they had a heart attack or they were uh, intoxicated and died in an accident. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's really fucking morbid. Um, and so, you know, and then like people act like too in that, in the industry too, they just kind of like, they're like, well, you know what? You should, you should keep doing this in, in his honor or in his name, you know? It's just so That's what he sick. Wanted. Yeah. <laughs> Cooking food for minimum wage. Yeah. You should. <laughs> it's just oh, funny man. to be like valorized to that degree. Like, you yeah. would have wanted you to. to, to he, he would have wanted you to to work this uh this extra shift on Sunday this week to work the Sunday brunch shift. Um, but yeah, so uh, yeah, on on Bourdain, like like as a guy, I guess because because he can kind of symbolize this whole industry and, and phenomenon. Like, uh, do you want to get into like his background and like how he how he got into the industry and how he came up and, and became famous? Yeah. So so if you look at like. You know, um, and like, this is going to sound like I'm really like being harsh on this guy. And, you know, it's probably going to come across like, like, I don't know, like internally, like, like I resent him as like some sort of like figure that I, that I'm angry with, you know, for tricking me into this (laughs) lifestyle. That's not the case. Like I find him incredibly fascinating. The work that he did, his, his travel documentaries, um, sort of raising like, I guess some awareness to different cultures is, is, was, was important. But there is kind of like this sort of almost like leftist like campaign 
to just kind of reimagine him as this like working class folk hero and that's not at all like what his background was i mean he comes from uh i would say like upper middle class to petite bourgeois sort of background and you know he could have he could have gone to to school for for whatever he wanted to but he decided he wanted to go to school for uh for culinary you know culinary school because uh he used to go on these uh european vacations <laughs> to france and like you know i mean that is so far removed from anyone that I've ever worked with. I've never worked with anyone who grew up going to France for, for vacation or whatever. I mean, I'm sure I have, but not like nine out of 10 people that you work in a kitchen with have never left this mm -hmm. country or, or, you know, they're not from this country originally <laughs> too. And they're here for, you know, a chance at opportunity or whatever. So for him to just kind of be like, wow, how did this guy, like, he, he, you know, he gets hooked on on H and he's smoking crack, but he still kind of, like, perseveres and is this hero of the working class. Well, like, he had capital to support him to do that. Like, he had, you know, it's it's like that, that, that kind of lifestyle. Like, you have to have some sort of backing that a lot of folks would never have uh, nowadays, you know. Um, so it, it kind of bothers me because he does sort of, like, to some extent was fetishizing like working class working class people immigrants who come to this country you know as like here this is this you know acceptable good career path that you can take where you know in reality no one's making any money the hours are oh just completely awful there's no no solid no class solidarity like we mentioned so it, it bothers me when i see stuff like that he grappled with that and like talks about it in some of his later writing, but never to the point where it's like he re he he kind of like comes to terms with sort of the beast the beast that he created. <laughs> I mean, he didn't he didn't create it on his own, and he, I don't think it was his intention to create it. But yeah, he does seem to yeah, kind of be like a similar story that we hear like maybe from like the arts community or something like that. Kind of like more like middle class person who is like some type of like quote unquote class trader and lives like a more bohemian lifestyle or something like that. And it's like no knock on class traders or anything like, you know, we need them, but it, it's hard for those folks to grapple with, I feel like, and come clean about it. Yeah, it is. People who fetishize it kind of like, like dirtbag lifestyle, <laughs> like, to, like invariably have the background where it's something you do for fun rather than your actual like yeah you have to live yeah you know? the, the idea of slumming it or whatever you know yeah. well and i mean at the end of the day you know it does seem like he very much committed to a lifestyle of insecurity not even necessarily financially but just like in terms of stabilities instability maybe is a better word um and it you know, drove him to his own death. And that is what, you know, if you really are slumming it, then yeah, you are living a sick, terrible <laughs> life. It's not good. We don't, we don't want to lionize uh, pain and suffering as the ultimate form of proletarian expression, you know, that doesn't make you, even if it, even if it is true, that's what the experience is, it doesn't make you a better person because you are suffering and in pain. And I feel like maybe that's almost like, maybe that's like the downside of it because like on the one side it's you know i think creative like fancy food is cool and it's like i i would love to engage with that and like you know i i love a, a five dollar coffee <laughs> you know like i like the, some of those stuff you know 
but then yeah like the way it gets wrapped into this type of like edgy bohemian narrative or something like i'm wondering if it's almost like this is a way to like reinterpret and pacify people who are like forced into the service economy because that's like obviously something that has happened since the time that Anthony Bourdain wrote his book is that the service sector has exploded um, and it's almost kind of like oh well I can use that blueprint to interpret my life instead of interpreting it through some type of like class struggle I guess I don't know yeah no that's that's I think you're I think you're really correct there like yeah i i haven't i guess i haven't thought about it that way before or put it into those words but yeah it's that's that's incredible. well because only i'm thinking about like um the bear kind of because it was such a like yeah. it's depicting that but they wrap it in such a like cutesy trauma core kind of package where like he he's going through all this like psychological abuse and um tons of horrible trauma and stuff like that but then in the end like he just comes out stronger because he like i don't know gets in touch yeah. with his emotions or something i don't know yeah he, he yeah i think that's like a very millennial version of the story and that's why we're seeing it on tv now but when i think about obviously bourdain is writing in the mid-2000s about his experience even earlier and he's definitely a gen x guy the the gen x version i think you're right annabelle that there is something there where people are getting more and more pushed into this economy but the gen x version is is more about well i'm choosing this because i'm not selling out and i want this experience like i think about um rent (laughs) and i think about office space which are both stories about people being like, well, you could just suck it up and have a normal ass job. But they say, no, I'm doing real, I'm doing a real job. I'm going to, I'm going to become a construction worker. I'm going to become an avant-garde filmmaker because it's about getting in touch with the real people. And I, I think it's, I think it's part cultural anxiety of alienation, especially for older um, generations, not that Gen X is that much older but it's certainly older than millennials but for millennials it's, it's less about you know this this crisis of culture or inner psyche and you really don't have an option so it's more of a justification for it and that's why you have this story of trauma with the bear whereas you have a story about um authenticity for you know in, in uh, and there there go the generational narratives huh same shit different twee core narrative you know well, it's more about, you know, how much has the economy deteriorated over time? <laughs> <laughs> you changing the narrative as opportunities narrow and narrow. It's like, I mean, people are downwardly mobile and like now people from like upper middle class backgrounds have to work in the service industry, like, or we're, we're getting to that point. And so using this, it can be uh, a blueprint of like a, you know, a struggle and a, uh, and a rebellion of sorts. Uh, so you're rebelling by like cooking rich people food. Uh, <laughs> the other thing, like I do, kind of feel like it really lends itself to is definitely the trad turn because like this is the energy that I get from like a Brad Leone type of celebrity chef. Getting back to our roots and like getting back to like natural living and stuff like that. And like I'm gonna hunt in my in I don't know like I don't know where he goes like New England somewhere he's like hunting in New England and stuff and so I think that's the direction. 
That's so interesting you say that because I was about to say, oh, I disagree. I feel like Bon Appetit is all about these like mixing of flavors, but they literally this month, because I do get Bon Appetit magazine, <laughs> had an article, <laughs> had an article about like this person who was like, I was a San Francisco plant forward eater and I hunted and butchered my own elk and oh, yeah. it changed forever how I eat meat. <laughs> Yeah, that is. I do feel like uh, like the Nick Cage movie last year, Pig, which is uh, oh, totally. Like, I still haven't seen that. Uh, uh, I know, I, I, I know, love, I know. It's really love, hard. It's really hard for me to watch stuff like that. I watched the Bear. The Bear was difficult to watch at first. Um, I enjoyed it. I, I I really did, and like there is a lot that they did well in that in like depicting sort of like, I don't know, um, some aspects of like what, what kitchen culture is like nowadays. Um, it's, it's like very much like a, a projected like image of kitchen culture. Like, but, uh, I still haven't seen, I still haven't seen pig, but maybe I'll watch that. Why, tonight. why Dan, what is your, uh, hesitation? Be- because it's, it's kind of like, it's kind of like when you watch a show or a movie about you, you know, something, you know, a ton about you view it through this critical lens that it's not like representative of like what you know is. And so it, it can be really difficult. The movie chef is, is pretty good too. the, you know, as far as like sort of capturing like what things are kind of like, but it, it's just, I don't know. It's difficult for me to watch like movies about chefs you know, you had that fucking awful movie, uh, Burn, with yes. Bradley Cooper like or whatever. Cooper, yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, like, to me, it's like, I know it's Nick Cage. I know it's, like, like a really good movie, but, like, I just can't get that idea out of my head of, like, Bradley Cooper or whatever. Yeah. Well, so so this kind of links in with the trad thing because it's, like, you know, he lives out in the in the woods with his pig, and it's, like, like the, the, the kind of value it promotes is, like, like like he exits the rat race to go yeah it's it's got to be just about loving food and loving to cook and like you know we we need to go back we need to go we need to return to one yeah well because as you said ben feeding ourselves is one of the most basic things that mankind has ever accomplished so it's uh, return to that return to simple ingredients and simple flavors and all this kind of stuff Fuck space, uh, all yeah, earth. I, I like, I like that you said that that chef was accurate and like your life was kind of like chef because because that means at one point Sofia Vergara and like fucking Scarlett Johansson oh. both trying to fuck you and I'm like I don't yeah. understand that's that's <laughs> no that's exactly what no that's what I meant that's what I meant it was exactly like that. <laughs> okay. well, we 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 talked about I know we've talked about a couple times like how well chefs do like they can totally date way above their looks and class. Yeah, it's just it is like being a rock star kind of. It's being a grifter. It's being a flimflam man. It's being like <laughs> you know, in America, America loves that. We fucking love our grifters. You know, we love Donald Trump, shit like that. And that's kind of something that I think gets lost in the narrative is that like chefs really are like the ability to cook and cook at like a high level is is a skill that can be learned what can't be learned though is like turning that into like selling yourself as a brand selling it like like it's it's all a swindle to some extent um because you're never gonna really make that much money working in a restaurant or owning a restaurant where you're gonna make money is selling yourself selling your brand selling cooking classes opening continuous restaurants shit like that or 
you know, making a nonprofit. This is where we, you know, get in a little bit with Jose Andres and shit like that. Um, you know, where you kind of like are doing this good work, but I mean, in reality, allegedly, you know, it could just be a place for him to wash money. I'm not going to say that, but <laughs> it could be. Also, I'll say anything about Jose Andres. Uh, did the, did, hair, did hair metal energy go into the chef field? Is that why we lost it from music? You know? Yes. Yeah, uh, there's like like 2000s line cooks were like 30 to 40. A lot of them were like 30 to 40 year old guys who just fucking loved hair metal. So. Interesting. I knew. See, okay, we're, we're making progress here. There is an energy in there. Well, because it's like, you know, it's like now you can't, musicians can't sexually harass music anymore. Uh, they can't sexually harass women anymore, so they're canceled. Chefs, though, they still can sexually harass whoever they want. That is not true. We already talked about Mario Batali this episode. <laughs> also, musicians can still sexually harass people at will, I think. And yeah, yeah I, but I do think, yeah, you get a lot of cover in industries with like almost zero HR or union <laughs> presence, you know? Yeah. And it's like, oh, do you really want to bring down this person who's been so good to the community who opened this restaurant here? Who's worked so hard for this neighborhood, this up and coming gentrified neighborhood? <laughs> you know, do you really want to bring them down? Well, I also, to go back to my earlier point, when you are, you know, you have to see this person for 70 hours a week and it's tied to your job. And I have a friend who works at, well, she doesn't anymore, but she used to work at um, a pretty fancy restaurant in New York. And she found out when she was promoted that. Two of their bussers they thought were dating, but they neither of the bussers spoke English as a first language. And it turns out that no, just the guy was harassing the woman all of the time. And she didn't feel comfortable coming forward because it was her job and she didn't speak English as a first language. And it was just super messy. And then at the same time, like the chef is having an affair with one of the waitresses and it's appealing because it's this person that you see all the time, probably more than your primary partner, and they can get you access to, you know, the really nice booze that they have uh, in the hotel uh, that nobody's really checking on or, you know, just drugs in general. Uh, and you can just, you know, drink after work and you don't even have to go somewhere else. You can just hang out in the closed kitchen and it just makes things really messy. Yeah, I mean... If, if, if there's a few other workplaces that are like that and yeah pretty much all of them are hives of like sexual harassment and like kind of inappropriate interpersonal relationships like pretty much anything where there's just crazy hours and especially crazy hours and not a lot of money and like you're not like in an office with hr like pretty much anything like that becomes just a a clusterfuck of depravity and then if you if there's somebody you really really hate you can just um chop them up and serve them as mincemeat in the restaurants too true or you can uh a roll doll story i really like this woman it's like a short story this woman has uh, an abusive husband and kills him with a frozen leg of lamb <laughs> and then fucking cooks it and serves it to the police the murder weapon it was like totally oh yeah <laughs> I really like that. I like that. I, I need to read that. Uh, it's a fun one. So something that is, that's interesting to me about Kitchen Confidential and that kind of like lifestyle thing is the way Kitchen Confidential is marketed and the way they have it written up is like, this is about the less glamorous aspects of working in a restaurant uh, and it's unpleasant and hazardous and, and like only only masochists would do it. And like the, the original article it was based on 
was called like uh read or don't read this before eating and like yeah. the, the idea was like oh it's exposing that actually you know restaurants are bad but like even though it's yeah. brand the the actual effect is the opposite and everyone who read this was like yo that that ass <laughs> like hell yeah. yeah you remember like there's Bourdain like is famous for saying uh don't eat sushi on like a Monday or some shit like that total bullshit nowadays um with you know shipping and stuff like that but like i still hear people that'll say that like you know what don't eat sushi on a monday read kitchen confidential or whatever the fuck it is he says but it, it is funny that the like portraying it as like kind of mystic uh, yeah. ended up being way more appealing to people than than actually trying to make working in a kitchen seem glamorous like you know <laughs> yeah and like i i definitely understand why i thought it was glamorous and like it is kind of like so at the time i was i was in school i was doing like like i was getting into like preparing to have an academic career of some sort you know what i mean whatever that may be and i was like oh man i can work with my hands i can see instant sort of like um the instant results of like my labor and shit like that and oh i can be a part of this like crew of people who are like kind of anti-authoritarian like me kind of like some of the similar music as me to some extent are into the same drugs <laughs> and drinking that i'm into and i can do this and this can be my career and and at the time it was like oh i'm making all this fucking money doing it too which you know you, you don't know that like that's the most money you're probably ever going to make you know you're always going to be living that same at that same sort of level and i wonder if it's like it was kind of like like the, the the whole idea of like the sense of it being a calling or like a vocation of some sort if it's not like one of those things with men where they they feel compelled to have like this sort of ritualized almost uh experience of hurting themselves or like torturing themselves <laughs> to like become a better person like i'm thinking of like like men who feel like they need to go to war and mm, shit like that men do be having war fantasies right andres yeah <laughs> God, I so badly want to go to war. I th- I think we can do it. I think we should go to Ukraine or no, let's go to Armenia. Sorry, Ukraine. That's that's soy and Reddit. We go to Armenia. <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. I'd love, I'd love to come back victorious from battle and have all those our little Armenian women giving me like fucking uh, pomegranates and whatnot as thanks. <laughs> but I digress. Do, doing it all for the Armenian shouties. <laughs> <laughs> Well, speaking of depravity, I I want to get our tinfoil hats on and start talking about Bourdain's death because the the facts as they are are pretty wild. But I also heard a rumor from someone who claims that inside information. What's the rumor? Well, so I mean, for people who don't know, you know, Anthony Bourdain was found dead. Uh, what was deemed an apparent suicide and asphyxiation by asphyxiation. But what I heard was that it was autoerotic asphyxiation gone wrong by someone who claims they know his family. I believe and it. And they covered it up. Hmm. <laughs> Interesting. I'm going to start saying that. I don't, it's probably not true. But, you know. It's like, I'm sorry, Asia couldn't, couldn't just asphyxiate him. You know, she couldn't supervise his asphyxiated orgasm. She's irresponsible. She was probably too busy having sex with some 15 year old or something. Yeah. We should get into that in like their, her whole thing. Is this Asia uh, Argento? Were, yeah. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, so yeah. Do, do you want to get into it, Dan? Uh, a little bit. I, I mean, Bourdain, 
famously paid uh, this uh, actor hush money. I mean, he called it, he called it, you know, he didn't call it hush money, but um, I don't know what it is when you like send a check to someone who was a victim of your spouse's like, you know, it was like a, a victim of sexual, uh, sexual abuse by like your spouse. Like, what is that when you send them money? <laughs> you know, it's nothing but like, like hush money. And I mean, it's it's really incredible to think about that because Bourdain was so adamantly against uh, Weinstein and, um, you know, the kind of like a champion of the Me Too thing to, to some extent. But like, you know, you look at Bourdain, you look at so how many chefs went down in like Me Too. And it's like, I, I'm, I'm kind of surprised. Like, I mean, I don't know anything about the man's personal life that like there weren't like Bourdain Me Too's. Who knows? Yes. Yeah. Like him and Asia Argento were very, very prominent talking about. Uh, all of this stuff you know the, the sort of year before he died and then he died and like two months later uh this comes out that he's that he's paying this hush money to someone who was you know 17 and was you know taken advantage of well i like joke jokes aside like i feel kind of bad for asia argento because it's like the age of consent is 14 and <laughs> so it's like she probably thought that it was okay like, wait, how old is it in this country? Cultural misunderstanding, you know, <laughs> yeah. that's all it was. She's like, how, look how old he is. He's clearly ready. You know, I don't understand this American culture. I did not know that. But yeah, so, yes, no, it's 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 wild. Uh, yeah, and it, it came out, like, you know, maybe a month and a half after he died as well. Uh, kind of crazy. <laughs> do, you, do you think that it's, I keep coming back to this, and this is, uh, do you think it's worse to have people think that you died of, autoerotic uh, asphyxiation or that you took your own life what do you think is worse i know that's the crazy yeah, thing ooh. is like of all the lies you could come up with if someone died of autoerotic asphyxiation why would you pick suicide but i mean that's the only plausible one other than like well, yeah one it's the only plausible one and two it makes sense in this narrative of yeah. him as a chef like it's known that chefs like you were saying dan like people od they commit suicide they live brief lives, briefer lives than a lot of other people. And so I I don't know, like, again, this is like, to this could be totally made up. I have no idea if this is true or not. But there is something I think in our world, you know, of the 21st century where suicide is actually like, you know, unfortunately kind of common, even among more famous people, like fucking Kate Spade killed herself. Like that's crazy. Um, and that's the kind of thing that would have been hushed up, you know, 50 years ago or like, you know, made to seem like an accidental death as opposed to suicide. But this is, it's in some ways more understandable than, especially when you have, you know, that you're in the heyday of Me Too and whatever, like some kind of like masturbation is not the same as sexually harassing someone, of course. But if you are maybe a more prudish person, you might not see that line. Like, I think obviously it's much more tragic to accidentally die. I don't know. They're both tragic. So it's whatever. It's the undignified. <laughs> it's certainly undignified. You don't, want, you don't yeah. want your joke. You don't want your death to become like a joke. Like David yeah. Carradine died from autoerotic yeah. asphyxiation. And that's like, that's like a funny it thing. It was so that. on brand though. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that is the thing though also is like as a, rock and roll lifestyle chef like accidentally killing yourself because you're like a thrill seeker or whatever you know that that could uh that could play but it's like it's too like his, his thing it makes sense to go out in like a hunter s thompson way you know it's like yeah. like that kind of thing that's crazy that david carradine was 72 dying of autoerotic asphyxiation too yeah I'm, I'm impressed he had the like the strength and the leverage to, to well, he didn't have the strength to undo it yeah <laughs> 
is uh, chasing the dragon a little bit. Got too close to the sun. But yeah, I think uh, I think well, the suicide is more sympathetic in people's eyes. It's gonna like end the issue. It's gonna be like, oh, well, that ended it really tragically. So we're just not gonna like pick at it. We're not gonna speak ill of the dead. You know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah, like I don't know if the official cause of death was something else maybe it would have gone a different way it is a very artist way to go out like even like godard this week it was assisted suicide you know like oh that's so french yeah uh the the idea of like the suicide being like being even like a a fake narrative that just kind of puts a bow on like this whole sort of tragic career or um you know also conveniently ties up any sort of allegations you know of wrongdoing and like a sex scandal um it's 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 pretty fucking uh convenient (laughs) you know well to do a little bit of irresponsible psychology which should be the subtitle of this entire podcast you know but there's a narrative around this guy who is, you know, like you were saying, Dan, there's this kind of like leftist lionization of him as this uh, class trader champion of more working people, other cultures. And it's so sad what he was reduced to because that's what he's he's brought down, like through his experience, through his empathy for other people and uh, through all this work that he had to go through, um, he ended up taking his own life. But if you if you look at it through the lens of this was a more middle-class guy who was in search of some kind of authenticity who, you know, even if he did like legitimately, you know, kind of was more willing to associate with poorer people, uh, people have to work harder, people have to work for a wage, you know, ultimately there is a degree of kind of LARPing with that if you are not openly, you know, siding with a Marxist worldview then yeah the idea that he is like a thrill seeker trying to chase something makes a little bit more sense that you go out trying to chase the little death and you get the big one wow he was in crazy good shape yeah are you looking at are you looking at naked pictures of him <laughs> no naked I, I just look like if you just like go to his like google images like two of the top like five are like him just shirtless and just absolutely jacked yeah i don't know anyone who looks like that i mean nowadays because because fit you know like the whole fit toxic fitness like lifestyle kind of permeates the kitchen and like the wellness lifestyle but 10 15 years ago i don't know anybody who kind of looked like that i wonder if he got worked we can we can we can connect this to all of our stuff you know gotta do bodybuilding i'm getting there i'm getting there (laughs) you have the toxic part down andre don't worry We just have to get you uh, addicted to heroin and stuff, and we can we can roll you out as a chef. <laughs> the, the cooking part is not like that important, honestly. <laughs> it's all about branding. Yeah, if you're charismatic enough, you can kind of do anything. They should start if they haven't already, like rolling out chefs like they do with like boy bands and new pop stars and stuff, where they already have the songs written and they just like need to find somebody who like looks. That's right, I'm, you know? I swear to God, that's literally <laughs> what fucking post scandal Bon Appetit is doing. They're just like rolling out these random people. I'm like, who are these people? Are these actors? Are these real chefs? This is like off topic, but have you guys heard about the botulism scandal? Yes. No, no. what? Yes. Damn. So, uh, Annabelle, correct me if I'm wrong. But so, like, the one guy who's left over from the Bonaparte. Brad Leone. The, the, the um, yeah, It's so. Alive with Brad Leone. Yes. So, he kind of, uh, they gave him a new Bonaparte show. 
called It's Alive, and it's about fermentation. Oh, fucking kill me now. And, like, pickling. And he has twice released videos that everyone commented on. I was like, you, this is not how you do it. You're going to get botulism from this. Yeah, Yeah, I remember that now. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They kept the one of the videos up, but they said like, "Don't use this recipe." <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! What not to do? Yeah, yeah, you can't yeah. just fuck around with that stuff. Um, like I used to make cheese, and like in order to make cheese correctly, you need to like put on a bodysuit. You need to like, you, you know what I mean? Like you have to keep things incredibly clean and well maintained. Like you can't just be like the hipster chef. Like, oh, I'm just going to fuck around with uh, science here. You know what I mean? It'd be like me going into a, into like a science lab and just being like, oh, I'm just going to mix these chemicals here and make a cool looking color. You know, botulism is like, uh, it, it's the one like foodborne illness you can fucking die from. And uh, it, it scares the shit out of me. F- foodborne illnesses, the lack of like cleanliness and stuff like that in kitchen like that stuff is like a big kind of thing that i'm like paranoid about because like if you're trained correctly they train you to be like incredibly scared of like that kind of thing because you could you could kill people with it and uh i came up in a kitchen where like not not the chef that i worked for but years ago like a couple years before he came on there was a huge outbreak of uh norovirus that that happened through like a banquet that they served or whatever and like yeah they lost so much fucking money and like lawsuits and like you can't come back from that like i'm dan Dan worked at a shooter's bar and grill the one (laughs) (laughs) oh god i don't know how you yeah would you ever go to a restaurant that has a b rating yes yes okay that's okay the board of health that is that's just i mean that's just how well you how well you look when the inspector comes through fascinating dan dan should uh, i follow the tiktok recipes for dry canning raw meat <laughs> should i start uh, can- yes yes do should it. i start at home canning <laughs> yeah are, are you gonna do it are you gonna do it so you have like some nice like mason jars of meat on like the wall or are you gonna actually eat them these ladies say that you can eat it these ladies there's so many tiktok ladies who are like doing strange meat processing in their homes nowadays and they're like making tallow and things like that um (laughs) they're getting elaborate and look all their kids are unvaccinated they're all healthy and living and we have rock solid marriages so you tell me that they're doing something wrong, okay? Okay, they're def. I definitely. Ugh, we need to do a whole episode on Mormon TikTok because. Oh yeah. Mormon none of TikTok, those. Yeah. Those are all three things they project that are not true. Uh, the, the, like, the, the swinging scandal was oh, sick. Yeah. That was awesome. Yes. The Mormon swingers. Whoa! Yeah. I got really down the rabbit hole on that one. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. We'll, we'll have to save that for a, for a, a different. I look forward to listening to that one. Dan, have you ever cut up the the fish where it's like part of it will just kill somebody? And so you need- no, I would never do that anyways. Ah, uh, damn. Like, yeah, that's that's too much. Like, if you if you paid me a lot of fucking money and I trained to do it, I'd do it. But like, yeah. Would you try it? If, yes. If a professional did it for you. Yeah, of course. Because yeah, you get like you get like after three deaths, you have to close down your restaurant. So and like. You- guys are generally pretty good yeah exactly they die they were asking for it anyways right yeah (laughs) they knew the risks uh (laughs) so dan i asked you last episode what sandwich you would make for an esteemed guest 
So this episode, I want to ask you, what sandwich are you gonna make for yourself? All right, I'm gonna tell you. I'm gonna tell you this is this because this is the sandwich that like I made this morning, <laughs> and it's not a sandwich. It's it's like a quesadilla. Like so, I took a I took I've got these uh, these Ortega brand quote unquote street taco oh, tortillas, nice. <laughs> and they're like a little bit more thick than the tortillas that you get. You know, like the the small flour ones. I don't know. They're flour tortillas. Flour tortillas are are kind of silly. Don't have a lot of flavor, anyways. But these these thicker ones, I want to think. You know, um, I don't know. They've got a little more substance to them, and I uh, have been doing this a lot where i put one piece of american cheese on the tortilla and i put it in the microwave for 15 seconds and then i roll it up and that is uh to me it doesn't get much fucking better than that i'm serious wait what kind of cheese american american like okay just like a craft single craft single yeah i love like shit food so much And every every one of every chef I've ever worked with does too. Like we all secretly love Taco Bell, McDonald's, stuff like that. Their accomplishments in food engineering, they've cracked the case. Yeah. <laughs> Scientifically they're, delicious. They're engineering food. They're not they're not cooking food. They're yeah, engineering exactly. it. So it is different. I feel like that's why chefs these days are always trying to make like a classy version of fast food. They're all exactly. obsessed with that. And it's because like they really just want McDonald's. <laughs> yeah. I mean there's this, I okay, I had the best McDonald's experience last week. <laughs> I got I got the new quarter pounder deluxe. I don't know how new it is, but it's it's the quarter pounder with cheese. They give you two pieces of cheese, um, and I'm going to tell you why it was why it was the best experience ever. Um, so they've got you've got lettuce, you've got sliced onion, mayonnaise, mustard, ketchup. But the reason that it was the best McDonald's experience ever is one week out of the year in late August, early September, it's tomato season. And for that that week, they actually have good tomatoes at McDonald's. So I had a good slice of tomato on my quarter pounder, and it was like honestly one of the best meals I've had over in like the past year. Probably that's so cool. I need to use like the farmer's almanac to mark when I'm going to McDonald's. <laughs> we need to go get Nation's giant hamburger, Annabelle. <laughs> well, that's like the whole thing with the McRib is they only sell it when. Pork prices are down. Ah. Yeah, they, they only it when uh, the like when uh, when it's in season to shape it into uh, <laughs> into a fake. <laughs> <laughs> Can only happen uh, in a special time. Mm-hmm. They use like special anti-trichinosis chemicals, so no, there's no problem there. You know, the thing is a feat of engineering. You know, uh, uh, yeah. Do you so like? There's this like I don't know if it's like apocryphal story of like this. Uh, the first McDonald's executive chef was a French chef and like he invented the McRib because he was uh, he found uh, pulled pork sandwiches or pork sandwiches intriguing. And so that's kind of where the McRib came from. I don't know if that's true or bullshit, but it's a fun story. Well, I feel like this goes back to like the chef stuff. It's um, it's from the earth. And like McDonald's is obviously from space, uh, and so like, and so the, the chefs are trying to capture. They're trying to capture a space thing with with Earth, and they just can't do it. They can't cross over, you know. Yeah, yeah. You need to just uh, stay stick with your own atmosphere, you know. 
Exactly. Well, that's why the molecular gastronomy people are such fucking assholes is because they think they can do both. Yeah. They think they can do space science on the Earth. Like, there's no chef in the world who could make bang energy. (laughs) I want to let them try, though. You know, if they can, like, split the atom like that. Have you had... Have you have you guys seen these elf bars? The vape? No. Bang this is like Oh, that's sick. This is the way that the world's going. These these like really these flavors that are like addictive. I mean like it it like I'm totally addicted to vaping now. It's like not even the and, nicotine, it's yeah. just so delicious. <laughs> we're so we're so futuristic now. God. Vaping bang energy. That's like if our ancestors. Bang is delicious, knew, dude. You know? The cherry cherry bang, yeah, amazing. Yeah. Bang makes ener- bang makes vapes too. You can get them in Kentucky. Should I get addicted so to good. nicotine oh just God. to sustain my bang rush? <laughs> my favorite flavor is cotton candy. Ooh. It's I love it. Space foods are so are so cool. Like uh like a lot of the flavors we know, space flavors, they just they have the name of a human flavor, but they don't taste like like everything grape. That's not what grapes fucking taste like, but it's delicious, you know? Same with cherry. Yeah. Cherry I think is the most watermelon space too. Flavor. Like watermelon yeah, doesn't taste true. like that at all. <laughs> to me it's banana. banana. Well like um blue raspberry flavor, it's like the flavor was invented first and then they just called it that afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> What about um rock and rye cream soda? Like oh, red, like red cream soda, real Michigan shit. <laughs> yeah, I swear it tastes different too. Yeah, no, Fago, Fago is uh Fago is the first time anyone from Michigan ever figured out how to like contact space. <laughs> yeah, or like a passion fruit. Passion yeah, fruit. I don't even think passion fruits are real. I've, I've seen never them, seen but them. like I, I couldn't tell you what they taste like. I know what passion fruit Lacroix tastes like <laughs> to some extent. Yeah. I don't know that that's what a bad fruit tastes like. Oh, yeah, like, like, I love Pample Moose LaCroix, but that's not what, what fucking, uh... Grapefruit? Grapefruit tastes like at all. Grapefruit's, no. like, very bitter. No, you all, you all have, like, uh, you all don't have, you all have, like, these East Coast palates. See, on the West Coast, we only drink, eat, drink, like, the Earth. You know, we drink, like, that mineral water that actually... You drink, uh, what is it, uh, spin, Spinthrift or whatever. The, the one no, we drink... Wine. See, I only drink Russian mineral water, where it's actually, like, they chip it off a rock into a river. Mm-hmm. I actually am a sparkling water, like, fanatic. Like, oh, so I so What's the superior water. brand, Dan? Um... It's it's tough. I'll, so. I'll handle this. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. No. The superior spark, the superior sparkling water is Vichy Catalan. See, it's just it's some shit uh, he gets from the Asian market in their Russian section. Yeah, I don't know that one. No one knows <laughs> it. <laughs> don't ever listen to Andres about his recommendations. It's always obscure. That's why the Russian section in the Asian market. Like I wouldn't expect there. Russia's in Asia. Russian section. Wow, you, you Annabelle gotta... drawing the line. It's literally in the continent uh... of Asia. <laughs> <laughs> most not mo- most of the people in Russia don't live in Asia. Like ninety percent of them are in the European side. I don't know. It's ninety percent of their genetics, if you know what I mean, is in Asia. Yeah, they're Asiatic hordes. That's why we <laughs> Ukraine against. Them. Yeah, the Targaryens mm-hmm. in the Game of Thrones are Russia coded. FYI. Oh, they're of the east in the game of thrones order yeah. i always thought they were supposed to be like kind of like post-roman you know because because like valyria is like very rome and like mm-hmm. and like westeros is like the uk but they're like latin kings not the I latin it was, like fascist like jer- like 
Anglo, I don't know, German. Yeah, I thought they were like uh, like Vikings. I thought they were more Ottoman. Yeah, I think they're Ottoman. We're going to have to come back and uh, racially code the the countries of Westeros. (laughs) This has nothing to do with restaurants at this point. I do not want to be on that episode. I'm going to listen to that one. (laughs) Oh, my God. I definitely, I definitely, as a Spaniard, did feel offended when I watched all those Dorn episodes. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> crush their head like a grapefruit. Yeah, the hot-tempered Dornish women, like hot-tempered, sexy, yeah. sexual uh, <laughs> Dornish people with a an unexplained accent, a little flair. You know, got no Latina representation, and it was yeah. Just, All the weak ass. Euphoria is the only ones. They're the only ones to do yeah. it, to do it real. Yeah. Anyways, <laughs> anyways. Anyways, is there any final thoughts you want to share with the world through this podcast, Dan? No. Uh, <laughs> thank you. Thank you. No. Thanks for thanks for giving me a chance to like talk about this stuff. Um, it's it's things that like I I think about and if you know I've kind of got like this sort of like collective analysis of of like my time in this industry and um, you know it completely expanded and changed you know sort of like when I you know kind of became aware of like uh, Marxism and stuff like that and so um, I uh, I've been really fascinated by some of the conversations you guys have been having uh, and so that I was I I said to Ben I was like you know I don't know if you'd be interested in this but I think it'd be right up your alley so. Thanks yeah. for giving me a chance Definitely. to come on. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, Dan, man. come back on if you uh, if you want to talk about hair metal. There's an opening for that. As well. Yeah, uh, it, so. desperately yes. in search of people with hair metal opinions because yeah. no one has any. Hair metal. <laughs> so bad. Yeah, thanks, Dan. See ya. <laughs>